Today's episode is brought to you by REI Blackbook. Receive a 14-day free trial plus access to two popular workshops to help you hit the ground running. Go to reiblackbook.com forward slash DPI to learn more. For using this special offer, you will receive a 14-day free trial to check out this amazing system for yourself. I have personally used this system for over six years, and it's helped me wholesale over 500 properties. That's right, over 500 properties. It's truly one of my secret weapons. So head on over to reiblackbook.com forward slash DPI to learn more about this amazing CRM and marketing platform. Again, that's reiblackbook.com forward slash DPI. Welcome back to season two of the Discount Property Investor Podcast. Our mission is to share with you what we have learned from our experience and the experience of others to help you make more money investing like a pro. We want to teach you how to create wealth by investing in real estate the Discount Property Investor way. Make sure you never miss an episode and download the Discount Property Investor app in Google Play or iTunes today. To jumpstart your real estate investing career, visit FreeWholesaleCourse.com, the most complete free course on wholesaling real estate ever. Thanks for tuning in. All right, guys, welcome back. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, this is Mike Slane, and we've got David Dodge remote today. Dave, where are you, man? Fill us in. What's hey, Mike, good morning, man. I am in Park City, Utah with the wife. Awesome. We just, we're actually headed back here shortly, back to the St. Louis area. But we came out for a short little ski trip, and uh, we've been having a lot of fun. So I'm happy to uh, hop on this call. But uh, all in all, yeah, we are having a lot of fun, Park City. Great, man. Great. No, we're uh, we're glad you're able to get a sneak little vacation in, and uh, happy to have you coming back here pretty soon. You know, the the office isn't the same without the old Dodger in, in here. So <laughs> we're looking forward to having well, you back. Sure. That's right. I'm excited to get back and get to wholesaling. That's yeah, right. Yeah. Well, and maybe it won't be so cold when you come back. We'll see, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's pretty cold here in Park City. It's actually snowing right now, so hopefully we'll get some warmer weather. Yeah. Right on, man. Well, all right, so today we were going to talk about contracts, or at least that was the plan, unless you had something else you really wanted to cover Dave? No, no. Contracts is a great topic, Mike. It's one of my favorite topics. So let's uh, let's jump right in, man. This yeah, is uh, so last a great we, topic. Yeah, we talked about making offers, I believe, um, and, and doing some marketing. So let's talk a little bit. Just recap. What is wholesaling? Um, well, first off, I guess let's welcome our newest uh, Partner Training Academy member. Uh, we've got, uh, we won't put a last name on there, but Jim, thank you so much for joining. We look forward to working with you. And if you guys... Yeah, I just emailed Jim. Did you see that? I did. I did. I actually, my email failed, and I was going to, I just got an error response. So I'm glad you jumped in and did that. No um, problem. So the Partner Training Academy, if you're not familiar with it, guys, is uh, where we do all of our training for our students. 
And uh, again, Jim just signed up, so we're, we're really lucky to have him in it, and hopefully we'll be able to accelerate his investing career real quickly. So Absolutely. again, what, what is wholesaling? Real quick, quick summary for you guys. Wholesaling is buying a property at a great price, uh, and by buying, we really mean putting it under contract. Uh, you may or may not close on it. Uh, you more than likely are going to assign that contract, that interest to someone else for a good price, an end buyer, uh, and you're going to make a spread in between. So wholesaling essentially is buying properties and then reselling them or buying properties and assigning them to an end buyer uh, to make a spread. So you're essentially your business is marketing, your product is a house, and that is your inventory as well. You've got to look at houses as your inventory, and you need to have something in your inventory to sell to make a profit. So how do you get inventory? You use a contract. In real estate, you have to put, in the U.S. anyways, you have to have a written, I believe you have to have a written agreement uh, to purchase a property. Dave, do you know, I'm 99% sure it has to be in writing to be a formal. Yeah, I mean, I, I, if you're trying to purchase it through a title company, absolutely. Yeah, um, I, I would just say, yeah, every time. Yeah, I'm pretty sure to be a valid contract, it has to be in writing, signed by both parties, and uh, you have to have something of value uh, stated or, or held for it. So basically, your earnest money. So those are kind of the three elements to make a contract valid, I believe. Don't quote me. Again, I'm not an attorney. But those are really kind of the, the three uh, things about a contract. Now, if you follow us in the past, you know we always push everyone to go check out our free wholesale course. And in that, Dave, we've got a simple one-page contract that uh, we had used when we put that course together. And we uh, still use a very, very similar one. Uh, the thing about the contracts is, especially when you're writing it, is you download it uh, from our free course. You can download it there. And you can edit it. Uh, we give you the Word doc version. And we've done the same. So it evolves over time with your business. Uh, we, Dave, you had just recently had another little interesting thing to, to throw into our listed properties contract. That's right. Uh, mm -hmm. that, uh, yeah, so it's constantly evolving, and it's not something that is ever going to be perfect. Um, you, if you want to do your own due diligence and have an attorney review, you can do that. Uh, but again, it's, it's usually, it, it doesn't really matter that much. I mean, long story short, you just need to get something in writing that states that you're wanting to purchase the property at this address, you're willing to pay this um, this many dollars, um, and go from there, right? I mean, what, what are your mm -hmm. thoughts on it, Dave? I mean, I, I, I know that, uh, you know, we've used the special sales in the past um, extensively on some of our, our uh, listed property offers, and we still do to this day. Uh, mm -hmm. But when you're out there in the field, it's not it doesn't always make sense to use uh, one of the board forms with them, right? Yep, exactly, exactly. Yeah, so and why? So the board forms, and I, I refer to board forms, meaning the St. Louis, we're here in St. Louis, so the St. Louis Association of Realtors uh, has their forms. I'm a member, I'm a realtor licensed, so again, we can use those forms. Um, but they're long, um, and they're, they're somewhat confusing sometimes. Uh, so the, just the special sales contract alone is six pages long. So we don't always use that contract. We'll use just a mm -hmm. simple one-page contract. So again, that's kind of uh, what we like to do. It just really, it really depends. Uh, depends on the situation. So 
Uh, let's talk about uh, how, how do you get stuff under contract, Dave? I mean, what's your approach? Well, here, before we even go there, Mike, let's back up for just a second. Absolutely. I want to talk a little bit about – can you hear me okay, first and foremost? I've got my headphones in. I can hear you just fine. Can you hear me? I can hear you great. Okay. Perfect. So controlling properties via contract, there's a couple basic items that I want to touch on with the contract. Um, and then we can jump into what you were saying, like how we use our contracts. And then last but not least, I want to talk about the CYA clauses. Love it. But there's really only a couple basic items that you need um, to actually have a contract and for it to be a legal contract. So as Mike mentioned in the beginning, it needs to be in, in writing. It needs to be written, okay? Um, but other than that, there's really only, I'd say, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, probably eight or nine things that need to be in the contract. Um, so the first thing is you need to have the date. You need to have today's date. The second thing is you, is you want to have the buyer's name and address. Now, some contracts will have the property address only, which is totally fine. Um, sometimes they will have the mailing address as well, but the mailing address isn't necessarily required. It's um, just the actual property address. Um, last, or next would be the seller's name. Um, an address. The first part was the buyer's name and address, and then the seller's name and address. Um, the property address that is being purchased, we kind of just covered that um, before. And then the amount that you're going to be paying for the property. So this is actually the purchase price, or also known as the sales price of the property. Um, and then you would want to have um, consideration for the agreement. And this is also known as earnest money. So in order for a contract to be legal and or a better word would be enforceable, um, you have to have what's called consideration. And again, this is also known as earnest money. So you need to have those things written into the contract. Um, an acceptance period for the contract is highly recommended. I don't know if that's actually a requirement to make the contract legal, but we always add an acceptance period into our contracts. Um, and then the last two things would be an inspection period, which is basically just the amount of time that you want to inspect or do what we would call due diligence on the property. And then last but not least would be a closing date and location. Um, again, these are the things that are needed for a contract to be um, not only legal but enforceable. So let's, let's review real quick. It needs to be in writing. You want to have the date that you are um, filling out the, the, the contract, so today's date. You want to have the buyer name and address, the seller name and address, the property address that is being purchased, so that would be known as the property address, whereas the seller's name um, and address may be their mailing address. They may not live there. Uh, the amount you're paying for the property, consideration, which is also known as earnest money, an acceptance period, again, not necessarily required, but highly recommended. Um, and then, and then the, the inspection period. So there's a difference between an acceptance period and an inspection period. The acceptance period would basically mean that whenever I'm going to send somebody a contract, I want them to either accept that contract, counter that contract, or decline that contract within a certain amount of time. Typically, Mike, when we send out contracts, it could be anywhere from a week to acceptance um, up to maybe two or three months for acceptance. But again, we really want to have that acceptance period in there because if we don't, 
that contract in theory could be, you know, valid for, you know, forever. So we really want to make sure that we have that acceptance period in there. Next is the inspection period. So this is just the amount of time that you are going to use to inspect the property, show the property if you are wholesaling it. Um, but essentially what you're doing with an inspection period is you're doing your due diligence. And we've done a whole call on due diligence in the past, um, but due diligence is basically just making sure that everything that you are agreeing to uh, makes sense to you. And then again, last but not least, closing date and location. You want to make it clear, um, you know, when you plan to close this property and where. You know, are you going to be using an attorney? Are you going to be using a title company? Um, and we typically will will um, will put, you know, the title company that we want to use, and if the seller or buyer, depending on which type of the deal we're doing, um, has a problem, then we can easily amend that or change it. But ideally, you want to make it easy for the other party. So you want to put, hey, we're going to close at this time and at this date or at this location. So those are really the main, main, main principles um, or, I guess, you know, key points that you want to have in your contract, A, to make the contract legal and enforceable, but B, to just kind of clarify and identify all the things that are important. So those are the main things. Mike, did I miss anything you can no, think that's, of? That's great. I'm glad you went through that. And uh, some of the things I'll just touch on. So David mentioned, like, sometimes you'll put the um, the address or the home address or mailing address of the buyer. And the reason you want to do that and the reason you'd include it, it makes it easier for the title company because um, they're going to need that information uh, to mail the, the deed and other documents. So all this stuff, uh, there's a reason for each piece of it in the contract, as Dave mentioned. And, uh, yeah, it all, it all makes sense. The other thing I wanted to touch on you had, you had mentioned was the acceptance period, uh, the importance of that. So you want to do that on your buy side and your sales side uh, for a couple of reasons. One, if you buy if you're making an offer to purchase a property, like Dave said, your your contract could be good forever. And quite frankly, if you've got, you know, let's just say realistically you have uh, $250,000 and you make an offer for a $200,000 house, well, if your offer is good forever, you may spend that money on another house. So you may not want to buy that one. So there has to be an end period on that. Uh, that's yeah, that's a really good point, Mike. That's a really good point. Kill Absolutely. Somehow. Oh, you're good. No problem. So then... Um, Let's jump into some of the contingency clauses that we actually use in our own contracts. So the contingency clauses that I like the best, there's really probably two that are my absolute favorite, but there's tons of them that we can use and that you know we instruct our students to use. Uh, my absolute favorite is subject to partner's approval, okay? And this is one that I actually learned from a coach that I hired three or four years ago. And he loved this one, and I also love this one, because who's to say who your partner is? And he used to always joke that his partner was his cat. You know, so like how, you know, getting an approval from your cat might be pretty difficult, right? But at the same time, you can always just say, hey, partner approved it. So basically, it gives you a backdoor or an exit to, to, to not have to perform on that contract. So subject to my partner's approval or just subject to partner's approval. 
again, it's just kind of a really vague statement that just says, I need to make sure that my partner, and as a wholesaler, that could be your cash buyer, it could be a JV partner, it could be, you know, anybody really, but ideally it'd be your cash buyer, uh, is they're going to approve this deal. So again, it kind of gives you um, an exit. So contingency clauses are what we're talking about. CYA, you cover your arse, um, and we always have multiple of these contingency clauses in our agreements. Because again, if we can't perform for any reason, we want to prevent ourselves from getting sued or having to litigate, you know, on this particular contract. So again, subject to partner's approval is probably one of my favorites. Another one that I really, really, really like is subject to valuation of the buyer. Okay. And this one is actually very similar to another one that we use that is subject to verifying taxes, title, and value. Okay. Those are kind of, those go kind of hand in hand. Okay. So subject to verifying taxes, title, and value or subject to valuation of the buyer. So why is this a good one? Why do I like it so much? Well, valuation is kind of an opinion. You know, it's something that doesn't necessarily, it's not black and white. It's, you know, me as the buyer in a wholesale transaction, um, it's subject to, to valuation of the buyer or subject to verifying taxes, title, and value. Well, guess what? Verifying taxes is very easy. You can go to the, go to your local online uh, county website and you can see what those taxes are and if they've been paid. Same thing with title. You can send the information to the title company and they are going to verify with you if the title is clean or not. Okay? So those two things are very black and white. However, value is not. Value is kind of like in the eye of the beholder. It's something that, that everybody's going to have a little bit different opinion on. It, it basically, it is an opinion. Okay? So by verifying taxes, title, and value, and or subject to valuation of the buyer, at any time, I can say, you know what, I think this property is worth less than I had offered. Therefore, the value or the valuation of it isn't in line, and I'm going to exit the deal. And again, it's totally illegal to do so, but you want to make sure that you have these CYA clauses in your agreements. So therefore, you know, if something were to turn, turn bad or go sour or for whatever reason, you aren't on the hook to purchase that property. You always want to have some of these CYA clauses or another way to, 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 to uh, describe those would be your contingency clauses, okay? Um, a couple more would be subject to acceptable appraisal if you're going to go that route. Um, you could also do subject to a final walkthrough on the day of closing or a day or two prior to closing. It could be subject to financing. It could be subject to appraisal. I think I said that one. Um, it could be subject to partner's approval, which we talked about. Um, and then, but really it could be anything that you want, subject to blank. You fill in, okay? But ideally you want to make that blank that you're adding in there some sort of vague um, word and or a word that kind of demonstrates opinion, not fact. Because if it's fact, you may be stuck. Whereas, whereas it's opinion, like partner's approval or value, those two things, it's, it's, it's truly impossible 
for, for me to say this is the value of it and you to agree every single time, 100% of the time. You know, people are always going to have a little bit uh, different idea of what a value is, okay? We, we, um, really, like, <clears throat> we really like that one. And, Dave, I wanna, I'm going to kind of interject here. No, please, so, please. Yeah, so the, so the CYAs or whatever, they're, it's not a big deal, and it's kind of it's similar to how a typical residential real estate transaction takes, uh, happens as well. So when you're buying a primary house or a regular person is buying a primary residence, um, they, they write a contract, but there's all sorts of contingencies in those contracts built in. Most common one is subject to uh, the financing. There's a financing contingency that says, if I can't get this loan at this rate, I'm not going to buy it. I'm not going to buy it. Or appraisal. You're absolutely right, Mike. Subject to appraisal. The property has to appraise at a certain price. And the appraisal, just like Dave was talking about, is one person's opinion of value. Now, again, they're an expert in the field, and they've done a lot of research. But, again, it's, it's an opinion of value of that appraiser for that bank, uh, or independently of that bank, rather. Um, Absolutely. So then, so then there's other special agreements in there. So even in the special sales contract we use here in Missouri, there's a space where you add on an inspection rider. And in that inspection rider, you kind of state exactly what you're going you're gonna to do. You, your plan is to inspect that property. So this is all very common in real estate. This is nothing that's like outside of the norm when you're writing up a contract. This is, this is very standard stuff to have uh, contingencies in there that help to CYA, essentially. So, Absolutely. yeah, we'll touch on that. Um, Dave, you got anything else to add? Otherwise, I want to jump into kind of yeah, I, when you do... I got a couple here, Mike. I got okay, a couple. Go so one thing that, that, I, that I really harp on, Mike's going to agree with me on this immediately, Maybe. I always try to... Oh, you're going to. I promise okay. you. I always try to use business days when I'm using inspection days, okay? When you're Here's right, you're right, When you're right, you're right. <laughs> That's right. So why would I why would I want to use business days over days? Well, here's exactly why. Whenever I'm saying that I have that I want to put an inspection period into a contract, which almost every contract we write has an inspection period in it. And if I'm if, if I ask the seller for ten days and they say, Yeah, no problem. Well what I'm gonna do is when I send them a contract, I'm gonna send them a contract that says I need ten business days. Business days are Monday through Friday. They do not include Saturday and Sunday. So if I say that I need 10 business days, I really have 14 days. So by adding that one word business, I'm actually increasing my inspection period by 40%. That is a huge, huge percent, 40%, okay? So if I just said 10 days, well, that's just going to be 10 calendar days. If I add in that one word business, I'm going to buy myself an extra four days because I'm not counting those weekend days. So I essentially go from 10 days to 14 by adding in that one simple word business. So that's something that you want to definitely be aware of. And sometimes people will add that word into a contract when they're buying a property from me. And I'm the master, so I know, I see it. And depending on if I like the person or if I don't care if the time frame isn't too, is too short or too long, I'll let it go. But other times, somebody may ask for 20 business days. And that's a big difference between 20 days. I mean, you're talking about eight or nine more days added to that inspection period 
So I may or may not allow them whenever I'm the one receiving the contract. But when I'm the one sending the contract, always, almost, I'd say almost 100% of the time, 99% of the time, we add business in there because, again, it buys you a few more days. Yeah, that's great. Mike, let's talk a little bit about the sales side, um, CYA clause. Um, subject to seller's successful acquisition. You want to dive into that real quick? Oh, excellent one. Excellent one. Yeah, so since we're wholesaling, so we're buying a property and then we're reselling it, uh, oftentimes before we actually close on it, uh, you're agreeing on your sales side to sell a property that you don't necessarily own yet. So you can you can kind of get yourself in trouble. Um, if someone really wanted to, to be... Um, you know, a stickler with you, I mean, kind of a pain, they could take you to court for failure to perform. Uh, if they put up earnest money and they have money invested in this deal, uh, or at least they think they do, they can, again, they, they could they could sue you for failure to perform. So you they want could. to... Exactly. So you want to make sure, or at least we do, we put in all of our BC side contracts, all of our sales contracts. I'll say it one more time. It's subject to seller's successful acquisition. So it means this whole contract is contingent on the fact that we're able to buy the property that we've named in the contract. Because exactly. again, we're, so, we're letting that seller, or letting our end buyer know that we are buying this property and that we may not be able to buy it. Like we're trying to buy it, obviously, and we want to sell it to you. We're agreeing to sell it to you. But if we cannot buy it, we cannot sell it to you. I mean, that's, that's the, yeah. So again, it's very important. At least we've, we've deemed it very important to put that in the contract. Absolutely, absolutely. So that, that you know, the, why is that so important? Though I want to just kind of talk about it for a couple more minutes here. Why is that so important? Well, Mike and I, we run a wholesaling business. We also do a lot of rehabs. We also buy a lot of rentals. But when we are wholesaling a deal, most of the time, now sometimes we will have to close on that property, and then that that particular CYA clause is irrelevant. But if we are wholesaling a deal and we double close it, okay, so if we assign the contract, it doesn't really matter because the, the person that is the assignee, meaning that they're going to step in and take over, um, they basically become the new buyer on the contract. So if that AB contract or that original contract falls apart, well, then they can't, they can't perform. So there's really no reason for them to um, have any problem with us. However, if we are double closing this, this contract or this deal, let's say, and we go out and we get a property under contract at a great price, and then we find ourselves a cash buyer who's willing to pay us a good price, that's the difference between a wholesale. Buy great, sell good, okay? And we, and we then draft up an additional agreement or a contract with that new buyer. Um, they're expecting us to perform. So for whatever reason, if something were to happen on the AB side with us and the seller, Mike kind of mentioned this, the buyer may not know what's going on. So we always slip into the BC contract, which is between us and the buyer, you know, subject to successful acquisition. Therefore, if anything happens between us and our seller for any reason, um, we don't have to perform on that second contract because, again, it's subject to us successfully acquiring it first. Whenever we do a wholesale that, that is a double close versus an assignment, we actually are acquiring that property before we sell it. It's just sometimes at the title company, 
We're only really the owner of it for, for a couple minutes, okay? Um, so, again, on the BC side, subject to successful acquisition is a great one to be aware of. And, um, again, it just kind of protects you from any type of a lawsuit or litigation in the event that something were to happen with your original contract with your seller. So I love that one. That's a good one as well. Uh, Mike, I had sent you over a couple things recently. Let's touch on them real quick. Sure. Um, but I think these are a little bit more to do with listed properties or if you're dealing with an actual brokerage. But it doesn't mean that you can't use them in your wholesale agreement. So one of them that I sent over to you just the other day that you know, we do occasionally, but we're going to start doing on every agreement, I'd like to, is buyer to verify everything. I mean, it's four words, guys. Buyer to verify everything. And this is if you are the listing um, agent in the event that you're doing that type of thing. Or if you're just selling, it could be also a double-closed situation where you're wholesaling, right? Buyer to verify everything. Or another way to word, to word that is buyer to do own due diligence and then verify those things, right? Why is this important? I'm going to tell you. If you sell somebody a property and you screw up the square footage of that property or you don't disclose something that you may not even be aware of, okay, well, in the event that that buyer that buys that property has a big issue down the road or finds out something that was not disclosed or maybe was incorrect on the agreement, they have some ground to stand on to come sue you for damages, okay? So if you slip into the contract, you know, buyer to verify everything or buyer to do their own due diligence um, and verify those, those items in the agreement, Therefore, if you make a mistake, and again, most of the time, these are mistakes. They're not something that, that happens uh, typically on purpose. You know, that would be bad. Um, but if you screw up, let's say you're typing in the square foot, you type in 2120, when really it's 2220, you're 100 square feet off. Well, that might have just been a simple typo, guys. But if you put buyer to verify everything, and then they then later see that there was the mistake, and again, most of these mistakes are on accident, but it kind of covers your butt from them coming after you because you slip in buyer to do their own due diligence or buyer to verify everything. That's a good one to put in there in the event that you are selling the deal to a cash buyer. The other one that I really like, and this is one that is actually like it hits really close to home right now because me and my wife are rehabbing a property in the St. Louis area where we live. And, um, we're selling the home at a contract price of 208000 okay? The buyer has an agent, so this is a retail deal. We bought this property off-market via wholesale marketing, but we didn't wholesale this one. We actually cherry-picked it, and that's what, that's what we really highly encourage every wholesaler to do is to cherry-pick the best deals. You know, if you are looking to build yourself a rental portfolio or if you're looking to find a rehab, maybe you're not. Maybe you're not interested in those things. But if you are, the best deals are going to be the ones that you get off market from your wholesale marketing efforts, and you just cherry pick those. Instead of you going out and selling those deals, you just find somebody to help finance it. It could be a hard money lender. It could be a bank. It could be your own money, whatever, and you cherry pick those deals, Okay. So back to the CYA. The CYA is actually going to be described like this. 
seller not to pay commission on any of the seller concessions. So you may not understand what that means. That's okay. I'm going to explain it to you. So I'm going to say it again, though. Seller not to pay commission on any seller concessions. So here's what that means. And this is a perfect example. I said it hits, it hits close to home because we're actually dealing with this exact scenario right now, okay? So here's the scenario. We, we bought a house, and we got it a great deal on it via wholesale marketing, and we decided that we wanted to rehab this home. So we cherry-picked it, okay? We, we bought it great. We put a bunch of money into it, and it's a beautiful home, and now we're selling it. So we listed it with an agent, and a buyer's agent came in with a buyer and wrote us a contract on the property. So the contract had a couple terms in it. It, it said that they were willing to pay 208 which was what we were asking. They were willing to pay full asking price. However, they wanted us to give them $5,000 towards their closing costs and credit. And this is actually very, very common when dealing with a retail buyer because they're typically going to a bank and getting a loan. And if they're getting an FHA loan or a VA loan or something along those lines, they may not be required to put down any money at all or very, very little. So if we credit them, you know, 5K of the 208 that they're willing to pay us towards closing costs or credit, that may be what they would need to bring to the table. So a good buyer's agent can help their buyers essentially buy homes with no money out of pocket. Not all the time, but often. So what that does for me, though, is it keeps my contract price at 208 But since I'm giving them $5,000 in closing costs and or credits, the amount of money that I receive has now become 203 okay? Now, that's only half of the, of the process. Then they go out and get inspections done, and they come up with a big 50, 60, 70-page report of all these little knick-knack items, and they want, they want the seller to do one of two things. They want you to either fix all that stuff or reduce the cost of the home X amount of dollars so that way they can then go fix that stuff on their own, okay? And it doesn't really matter which way you go because even if you come out of pocket 5K to repair that stuff, that's 5K less you're going to get at closing, right, because you've spent that money. Uh, the other scenario is you just reduce the amount of the sale price by that amount. In this, in our scenario, me and my wife's home, it was about five grand. We had to do termite um, remediation. We had to do some mud jacking, and we had to do a bunch of little knickknack stuff. So, long story short, not only did we credit them five at closing, right, but we're also having to spend five thousand dollars additional to get this to close. So, we're essentially out ten grand. So another way to look at it is the price that I'm going to receive is no longer 208 It's 198 So I have to re reduce the, call, the total amount by 10000 bucks. okay? However, I wasn't aware of this CYA clause until yesterday or the day before. Seller not to pay commission on any seller concession. So what that means when you put that CYA clause into these agreements is that I'm willing to pay the 6% commission on the 198. That's the net that I'm going to receive at closing, essentially the net, not exactly. There's going to be some costs and taxes and all these other things. But that's essentially the sale price, 198. It's no longer 208.
Okay. But in this scenario, I'm paying a 6% commission on the 208 figure. However, I'm never going to be receiving 208. I'm going to be receiving 198. So this is, in this scenario, I'm only, I mean, I'm only going to spend an extra $600, guys. But if you do 100 transactions a year and you save $600, that's 60 grand at the end of the year. So this is a great CYA clause to add into a, an agreement. And it doesn't even have to be a retail agreement. It could be a wholesale agreement because your buyer, the day of closing or a couple of days prior, may say, hey, we just found out that there's termites in the home or that this and that is wrong. And they may try to negotiate you down a little bit. But ideally, you want to pay your commissions or your marketing fee or whatever that is based on the net number, not the gross number. Does that make sense, Mike? Did I do a good job explaining that? Yeah, man, you always do. I love it. And it is a very, um, very kind of high-level um, that one's a little bit more advanced. Yeah, but it, it's really important. I mean, it really is. If you rehab houses, that's a huge, huge tip right there. And it's very, and it, it can be a lot of money. I mean, again, if you do a, a bigger house, you know, 500000 and there's a $50,000 swing in, in the price versus the, um, you know, the, the final actual payout to you, I mean, that's a ton of commission money too. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, 450000 times yeah. .03 is it's thirteen thousand five hundred, right? And then if you're trying to talk about a difference of fifty thousand at times three, you're talking a difference of fifteen hundred dollars. You're saving yourself that you would be paying in commission to that buyer's agent that you're no longer having to do because you had to come down on your price. So yeah, very high level, like you said, Mike. But also a great little gold nugget in there. It is. It's a good one. Yeah, I like it, man. So let's let's swing back around to wholesale real quick and touch on uh, contracts a little bit more. Uh, we've covered the CYA clauses pretty good, I believe. I want to talk mm-hmm. about uh, the difference between uh, when you want to double close and when you want to assign a deal, and what is the right strategy for someone. Um, so I'll, I'll start. I'll say that uh, double closing. Uh, Dave, and we've talked about this, so let's just describe it first, I guess. Uh, double closing is when you actually go and you have an AB agreement, uh, or we call it the AB side of the contract. So you purchase the property from your seller, and you actually close on that property, and you take title to it. And then most likely the same day, you've got your BC or your sales side contract lined up, and you actually close on that as well. So you're going to go to the title company, you're going to sign paperwork to buy it, you're going to sign paperwork to sell it. So there's a double closing happening. There's one AB side with your seller, and there's one BC side closing with your end buyer. So that is a double close. So when would you want to do that? Uh, we like to do it, I mean, it's kind of our default around here, and we use kind of a benchmark of about $5,000 when the spread is less than, or more than $5,000, we usually want to um, do a double close. And people in other markets will kind of laugh at that because it seems pretty low to them. Um, they say, oh, 10000 you know, is kind of the threshold. Well, just really... I will leave it go as high as, like, fifteen or 20000 But again, right. it just kind of varies. It really depends on the property. So here in St. Louis, if we're talking about uh, a property that we're buying for 20000 or $50,000... You know, a five, ten, fifteen thousand dollar assignment fee on top of a fifty thousand dollar house—that's a huge percentage of it—and your buyer might might kind of balk at that. 
So again, that's why we do uh, double closures at smaller numbers. It really just depends on the deal and the comfort level, is my opinion, with your end buyer. So an assignment. Let's talk real quick about an assignment. I'll describe that. Uh, the assignment, very similar to the AB on the AB side. You go out, you find that property, you put a contract under your AB contract, you're buying that property from the seller. But then what happens on your sales side, instead of signing a sales contract, you would sign an assignment agreement. So you're taking your interest in your AB contract and you're assigning it over to the buyer. Um, so you are actually stepping out as the buyer and someone is replacing you as the buyer in that contract. And you say, well, why would you do that? Well, because they're going to pay you for that assignment, for that right. And they're basically going to pay you that assignment fee. So when would you want to do that? Again, we say if it's under a certain level, a certain dollar amount, around 5000 or so around here, uh, or if you are very comfortable with the buyer. If they say, if they've been buying properties from you multiple times and they really just don't care, they just want the property and they, they don't really care, they say that price is great, we don't care how much you're making, then you can assign it to them. Uh, so what are the benefits of doing an assignment versus the double close is you don't actually have to pay all closing costs. So if you're selling a property, um, let's say you bought it for 100000 and you assign it or sell it for 110. Well, if you do the double closing, you're going to have to pay closing costs on both sides of that, and that's going to eat into your profit. So from that $110,000 sales side, you have to pay the closing, you have to pay the buy side closing. You may only walk with maybe $9,000, $8,000, depending on how much your, your title uh, charges are. If you just did an assignment where I have my $100,000 house and I just assigned it to my end buyer for... $10,000, they're bringing $110,000 to the table still, and they're happy. It's the same deal they had before, but you're walking with $10,000 instead of $9,000 because, again, they're just paying you the $10,000 right away, right off the top, so, and there's no closing that you have to pay. So, again, it's, it's, uh, it's really up to you and when and how to use those in your business. Uh, we can kind of just give you guidelines on, on what we do. Dave, what do you uh, you want to add anything on double close versus? No, Mike, I think you I think you absolutely nailed it. I would say one other thing to add to that though is um, there there are advantages to both. So if you are trying to make your business bankable, okay, there is an advantage to doing a double close. Reason is is you can then account for the income um, of the of the of the total sale price towards your balance, you know, towards your actual financials. Um, the, and again, there's, a, there's, a, there's kind of pros and cons to both. But if you are trying to build your business and become bankable, double closing may be a better option for you. If you are um, also in good relationship with your buyer and your buyer doesn't care that you're making maybe 20 or 30 grand on a wholesale deal. Well, then in that case, save yourself a couple extra hundred dollars or in some cases a couple thousand bucks. And um, that's just a finance deal. So again, there's multiple reasons why you would want to choose one or the other. But both of them will get the deal done. That's really what's important. Don't overthink it. Hey, how are you, sir? Okay, don't overthink the uh, one strategy over another. If you are just getting into wholesaling and wanting to sell a deal, it does. They both will get the job done. That's what matters. You just want to make sure that 
you get that thing sold and get paid. You can spend your marketing in stores and keep the keep the bills spinning. I love it. Dave, you're starting to cut out, so I'm going to go ahead and, and wrap up the call here. All right. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, your phone was kind of cutting out there, so we're going to go ahead and wrap up the uh, podcast for this week. We uh, Again, to, to just kind of recap, I guess, what Dave was saying, there are advantages to both uh, the assignment and the double close. So if you couldn't hear his audio, there's advantages to both, but it really doesn't matter. Get out there and start doing the business. Start getting properties under contract so that you can um, start marketing and selling those properties. It really does not matter if you're going to try to do the BC or the assignment. The most important thing is go out there and find a good deal, uh, get it under contract, and go make some money. All right, guys, thanks for listening to the Discount Property Investor Podcast. We'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks for listening to the Discount Property Investor Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, share, and subscribe to help us reach a wider audience. To jumpstart your real estate investing career, please visit freewholesalecourse.com, the most complete free course on wholesaling real estate ever. We would also appreciate it if you left us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. Thank you in advance for your support. And remember, you make your money when you buy and you get paid when you sell. Now let's go build some wealth.